0: The courage to feel, um, And why, why feel? Um, and why am I specific specifically talking about this on the last night in a class on depression. Um, you know, if you think about feelings and somebody tried to describe a feeling, it's so difficult what's a feeling and yet they're so unmistakable you know when you feel depression and when you feel guilt and you feel blame and you feel doubt um, or even or joy you know we say we have this feeling and oftentimes we get caught in the story around the feeling you know about our past uh, about our fears about our self-hatred, you know, fill in the blank. The feeling level that we connect to on me- in meditation is actually a paradox because on the one hand, a lot of feelings, especially around depression, are, very, you know, are a challenge to connect to, you know, because they, con- they bring up such deep sorrows and such enormous anger and feelings about being ripped off and um the cascade of endless uh ridicule humiliation whatever and so we struggle with really inviting or accepting them into our hearts and our minds Uh, and it takes a long time which is why it's not instant meditation and it's what, why it's not instant transformation and why we have to keep practicing. You know, there's a Zen, Zen expression, you fall down eight times, you get up nine. Um, and so it takes a while to identify the feelings. It takes a while to contact, you know, what are these feelings? What's the territory of the feeling in my mind and in my body? You know, what's the name? A lot of times we mistake, we, we confuse anger and sorrow. You know, there are really strands of, of sadness and anger and there strands of anger and sadness. And so there's, it's, it's a complex experience, but we don't do it through our mind. We do it through our really our hearts and our bodies. It's not something that you can intellectually figure out. Although people try to do it all the time. And, um, you know, as a psychologist, I have to you know, ask people to just slow down. We can just stay in our heads and be whirling around the stories of divorce and death and disappointment and, and, and de- you know, uh, and total, you know, devastation. Uh, but then taking that time to release ourselves through the experience of feeling it's 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 the level to release and why do I just getting back to what I said why is it a paradox the paradox is is that when you can connect to it and really enter into it whatever it is um, several several things are going on in that at that time first of all you're experiencing life in its fullest that's what it means to be alive to have that connection as opposed to living outside the bell, you know, you're really connecting and you can hear the bell. If you don't, the bell could be here for the next 200 years, right? But it, it's just this conceptual thing called the bell. And it's not until, you know, we make the connection, right? Is, is it really the bell that we know it as? So, and the same thing with feeling we could be living here and buzzing around like a little mosquito and but when if we don't if we don't really touch it and enter it you know we, we we're living in our head we're not living we're not living in the sense of really connecting and establishing contact with what's real what's true. So when we do that, when we make that establish that connection and we touch the feeling, there's a liberating quality of emotional nourishment that comes from it. Because we're touching, you know, a a true experience in this moment. And even though it could be excruciating, and it often is, as we all know, and often is, um, it's alive. It's true. It's real. It's available to us. And, you know, without the practice of meditation, it's so easy to live, out, live our life outside our life And so when we walk in these doors or we sit at home in our cushion, um, that's what we're actually inviting ourselves to have a life, to enter a life. And to to feel it through the 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Even something like joy is so hard to feel. We think, oh, we don't deserve it. Oh, it's, gonna li- it's not going to last. You know, we get anxious about pleasure. You know, Freud talked about this, pleasure anxiety. You know, we don't deserve it. <laughs> and, you know, th- those things are good to recognize that you have those thoughts in your mind and that awareness is very powerful. And so just even touching that awareness is a form of... Touching feeling, you know, touching guilt, touching anxiety. Very powerful experiences. The emotional nourishment also establishes a sense of courage. So the title of this talk is The Courage to Feel. Because once we do that, once we really touch experience with awareness there's a confidence that develops from that. You know, I did it once and I can do it again. You know, I I experienced the liberation and the release of meeting my worst fears and and miseries. And I survived so I could survive again. And it's quite astonishing, really, you know, that we can also live our life thinking we can't survive it. (laughs) You know, I'm sure everybody, well, I'm not sure, but I could guess, everybody has that feeling, you know, I can't bear this, I can't live through it. But we do. And there's ways to bear through these things, which is like kind of like fisting our way through it, like kind of boxing, you know, or it's living our way through it, which is to the extent that we're able, we make the commitment to enter into the experience as fully as we can. Um, Two years ago, I I had the experience of um, helping people post tsunami and uh, being in the morgue and bringing in families or friends or brides or grooms, mothers and fathers, you know, looking for their loved ones. And it is difficult to imagine sometimes I just can't even imagine and I and I was there (laughs) doing that and um, you know the enormity of that collective feeling of just total horror and grief and yet sometimes when I was in the morgue with these people you know is that my daughter is that my son is that my mother is that my father is that my bride um is that my baby um Because the experience I think was it's it's like the circuitry had completely blown in some people It's like the grief and the horror circuitry just like like, you know, it's like the the what do you call it? The voltage just blew And it was not for everybody um, But it was just amazing, you know, like you couldn't imagine a worse nightmare And yet there people were in the middle of it, you know, doing what needed to be done. And so many people, countless people said to me, you know, I just never could have imagined I could do this. You know, look at my dead daughter in a bikini, you know, who could, you know, I never thought I could do that. And yet they did. And we do survive what we think we can't. And this isn't to say, you know, you, have to run to these experiences, you know. As the saying goes, that you know, let the cl- the clouds come anyway. We don't have to look for them. Um, but the fact is, if you look back at your life at the things that you didn't think you could survive, and you know, for whatever resources, no matter how limited they may have been, you do. You know, so meditation and the heart space and kindness are all ways to do it more fully and more openly and with less resistance um, and with more allowing and accepting. And when you do that, there's another, quote, payoff, which is that a sense of discriminating wisdom arises, not just courage, but discriminating wisdom, which is here I am in this situation what choice, what, what's the wisest choice that I could make right now? Sometimes it's nothing, just the awareness that you're right there in the middle is enough. And sometimes, you, you know, choices are available. And meditation allows you kind of to take the road not taken. You know, it gives you the courage to take, to make another choice because you're not reacting on automatic pilot. Kindness particularly allows that because when your heart is soft, you know, you you do have more sense that experiences are available to you that normally wouldn't be. You You don't have to run away because your heart is soft and you can make yourself available. And I'm sure everybody has had that experience, you know, in, in dealing with somebody else's grief or sorrow or pain or shock. And just to use my own, you know, in the tsunami, when, you know, in the middle of people's horrors and nervous breakdowns, you know, I had meditation training. That was my refuge. The refuge wasn't in me, God forbid, (laughs) heaven forbid, you know, it wasn't in my personality and it wasn't even in my training as a psychologist, frankly, you know, because it wasn't from that intellectual space of, you know, book knowledge or theories. You know, I I happen to be a psychologist, but I, I could really honestly say that. You know, the the, the degree I was bringing to that experience was exactly what we're learning in this hall Um, and exactly what I learned in in my years in Thailand, sitting with great masters, you know, just looking at Buddhas, you know, they they, they sit there with great dignity and they they take in and they receive, um, you know, what life is offering and they give back that sense of calmness and openness and courage and strength and kindness and compassion that's so wildly boundless and beautiful when you get in touch with it. Um, and then when you do, you wonder, how could I live, live a life of such resistance? But it, it changes. That's what the Buddha talked about, you know, everything changes. And that's why we can't rely on anything. It's just this moment. You know, we hang in midair all the time, but we like to find our, our bases, yeah? You know, and I, you know, you catch yourself thinking, well, what am I going to do when I lose my job or my husband or, you know, my wife or, you know, all these ifs. And we, we live in that anxiety, and the anxiety is just now. You know, we're living in that right now. So the courage to allow ourselves to step aside really that 's what it comes down to, and just let wisdom and compassion be there and a lot of times you know it happens in our in our most difficult moments you know I, this is not a um, a commercial for depression <laughs> i'm not you know suggesting it but Even from my own experience and and helping people in my practice with it, um, wisdom arises because it's so hard. And the Buddha said that suffering is one of the Dharma doors, it's probably the Dharma door. There's many, there's thousands. But if you think about why you walk in this this um, center, you know, it's usually suffering that brings people in the door and, and literally to our knees. So in that sense, what you were talking about, you know, your mom dying Friday, your dad dying a few months ago and having this as a refuge um, is a benefit. It's a benefit. And, you know, I think depression does bring compassion because, you know, I've talked to enough people who have physical illnesses and emotional illnesses like depression and I've heard people say many times, you know, having a, an emotional illness is much more difficult because, first of all, it's invisible, you know. And second of all, it's, it's, it's harder to deal with because you have to deal with your mind to deal with it. <laughs> with your body, you know, you think, well, lot, many times, not all, you know, there's pills or there's therapies that you can, you can take and uh, your medical treatment is supervised. It's really different. You know it's really different with you know emotions so the Buddha was a doctor you know he healed emotional wounds and he did it through the Four Noble Truths he talked about you know the truth of suffering you know the cause of suffering you know that suffering could end and that there's a particular path that we follow to end it so there's a you know um, a uh, the symptom of depression the the cause of it you know are afflictive resistance, you know, to uh, owning and receiving our experience um, because of the pain and difficulty associated with it. And then there's the, the the prognosis, which is excellent, you know, that that all that craving and attachment, pushing and pulling around you know, the difficulties can end. And then there's a prescription that we follow. And um, and last week I talked a little bit about Sila, virtue, and um, why is virtue in a talk on the courage to feel? And it's in the, in the talk because virtue means that there's a certain level of restraint, you know, we that we make a commitment not to act out harming, not to act out taking what's not given, you know, not to act out sexual misconduct, not to act out. And the false and harmful speech, not act out through um, drinking and drugs that intoxicate the mind and lead to heedlessness, carelessness. So that restraint makes it difficult because why do, why do we why do we go into that fire? Because we're hurting usually, you know. Because we're hurting, so we want to obliterate or avoid, or avoid. We, you know, I don't want to hurt, so I'll hurt this animal, you know. You know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, feel deprived. So I'll take take something that's not given. You know, I don't want to feel lonely. So I'll have sex inappropriately. So when you restrain yourself from those, it takes courage to feel what you're you're trying to avoid through stimulation. That happens within the precepts. So... It takes courage to follow the precepts, and actually, I, I think I said this last week. But I, I, there's nothing more important to me, you know. Um, and I've always loved being around virtuous people because they make you feel safe. You know, if you've been around monks and nuns who follow, you know, very um, um, developed levels of sila, virtue. You know there is such a spaciousness around these people because they're you know they've made these commitments in such a you know lifelong daily moment by moment way you know it's so nice you know or around my enlightened masters um because their minds have been perfectly healed you know they're incapable of hurting they're incapable of it isn't that amazing so you're around these people you feel totally safe nothing And what are they going to do? You know, except be kind. So it gives us um, inspiration to follow the precepts, um, which really means a dignified restraint, which really means um, that we're allowing the feelings behind why we break the precepts to emerge. And that's not easy. I'll tell you another funny story. When I was in the it's funny, I was in the tsunami, which is not a funny story, but um, I was sitting with somebody. It was a horrible story. It was a father who lost his son, who was a groom. He had just gotten married, and he was on his honeymoon, and he died. His wife survived, and. Um, we were waiting for an embassy official to come and make arrangements and we had just gotten the death certificate. And it was a horrible moment. It was about a million degrees and it was bleeding sun. And we went to find some shade and sitting there and the thought arises in my mind. It's, it's so miserable, you know, this poor father and what he had to go through and he was just, you know, blown through and through with grief and the thought comes through my mind I wish I had a cigarette and a drink well I don't smoke and I don't drink you know <laughs> but you know that's so I saw that well that's interesting well why why did that come, why did that thought come up why did it come up because the feelings were so horrible you know I wanted to do you know get, get another sensation Anyway, so I observed this and thinking, wow, you know, that's amazing. You know, I want to smoke and drink and I'm going to smoke and drink. But it was, again, this, this kind of grasping on anything but this, these feelings of just such dread and sorrow and devastation. And it, he, he looks up and he says, you know, I really wish I had a cigarette and a drink. Laughter and I looked at him and I said, that's amazing. I just thought that too, you know. And uh, he said, I don't smoke or drink. And I said, I don't either, you know. <laughs> so, you know, why do we bring this up? It's kind of like the mind's natural desire to just not be with it. You know, it's so difficult. So, you know, in our society, it's so easy. So we eat and drink and smoke and, you know, have sex. We do all, you know, get titillated. You know, you know all these things are available to us to avoid those feelings. Now, granted, if he had a cigarette or a drink, I would certainly wouldn't have judged him. or frankly, myself, which I didn't do. But, you know, you, you don't blame people for this. You have compa- You know, there's compassion, deep compassion that... You know, you do these um, life-harming things. You know, really dangerous things to avoid a feeling. You know, people risk their lives or, or lose their lives trying to avoid a feeling. But the opposite of that is the courage to feel the feelings. And the courage is only moment by moment. You know, sometimes it's just too much and you want you just go to sleep. Or Sometimes it's too much. You just put on the music or sometimes it's too much. You just, you know, it's like anything else. If there's nothing else, then you, then, then that's it. You're surrendering to that feeling of I wish there was something, but there isn't for now. I mean, we talked about emotionally nourishing and emotionally depleting activities during this class, and I urge you to reflect on that you know if to the extent that it's possible for me to nourish myself, you know what could I do i'm not going to call somebody who's going to you know be a downer right you know I, I I will make the choice to to do something emotionally nourishing.'ll give you another example. I have a friend who um just became pregnant which is very very exciting um, and she's older and it was a really big deal for her and you know she was sharing the excitement with me and I was genuinely excited um, in a very deep way for her and you know we were it was a sweet moment in friendship and then she said to me that uh, a lot of people weren't happy for her they were right away kind of putting her on the defensive like you know why you're so old or how could you do it or what if you lose the baby and you better this and you better that and kind of like um you know um pushing her around <laughs> instead of just kind of enjoying the moment you know can we just bring it in and she said it was really she said how interesting it was that people were so unaware of their anxieties It was like they were projecting all the anxieties onto her And because she's also a meditator, she's like, you know, I just, it's like I put up a shield. Like, I just didn't want to take them in. I thought, well, that's a real, you know, she doesn't want to hurt her baby and she doesn't want to take them in. She wants to feel the joy. And I thought, wow, you know, that's a good idea. You know, you just kind of shield yourself to the extent that you're able. I know a lot of people wrote down in in their charts, you know, things that they really can't get away with, people around them or sickness or illness, and it's depressing, you know. But still, you know, the Buddha taught that we that our our virtue is our protection, our, our, our kindness is our protection, you know, our courage is our protection. So even in these terrible situations, and I'm not diminishing any one of them, um, and I hope you don't either. You know, some people I've heard say, oh, you know, I know it's not that bad. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it is to you. That's good enough. (laughs) You know? Well, compared to other people, right? Well, just see that. You know, see see the difficulty and just, you know, acknowledging your own suffering. Um, The Buddha also taught that you really can't jump over hoops. You know, it's not like you can go to uh a to z we go to a to b or a to a and a half (laughs) and then to you know a and three quarters and maybe b maybe we get a little lucky and go from b to c but sometimes we go back to a you know and that's what we do you know a million times on, on the sheet that i'll give you um it said when possible do just one thing at a time pay full attention to what you're doing When the mind wanders from what you are doing, bring it back. Repeat step three several billion times. (laughs) Right? So, um, yeah, compared to that, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll sounds, you know, has a different kind of appeal. You know, but is it liberating is the question. Is it liberating? Is it going to really free your heart from suffering, you know? And so, again, that's why we're here. That's why we're committed to practicing. Um, There is a real dignity to to holding depression with kindness. You know, because when you hold it with kindness, it, it, it allows the depression to have a space that's not so constricted. And so there's a flow of feelings through you. And you realize it's a good insight, actually, that it's not, you know, it's not so solid as you think. So we can even move the depression body, you know, outside. You know, we bring the the feeling of sadness, you know, giving it space or devastation or guilt or blaming, you know, making it taller and wider, deeper. You know, again, that takes courage because you're actually amplifying it. You're blowing it up. Again, kind of breaking those circuits. There's a famous story about Ajahn Shah, the, the Thai meditation master who sat in the charnel grounds all night. And Thais, I can tell you from living there, are, are, are incredibly afraid of ghosts. And, you know, he was just close to enlightenment. <laughs> and he was terrified of ghosts. So, you know, everybody... Everybody talks about them. Everybody is afraid of them. It's kind of like just, it's part of the the Thai culture and conversation. And um, they think Americans are weird or Westerners are weird because we're not afraid of ghosts. But anyway, um, um, we don't mind being alone and you aren't afraid there's ghosts in your kuti, you know, your meditation. No, that's weird. Um, But you get used to that. But anyway, Ajahn Chah decided he was going to face his worst fear and he actually went. And he sat in the charnel ground and charnel grounds, you know, in the quote olden days in Thailand, they would burn a body and the, you know, whatever was left, you know, would fall off the funeral pyre, a bone of this, uh, whatever wasn't burnt. And, you know, they would do a few of them a day and he just decided he was going to sit there, you know, just sit there and with all the ghosts and spirits that that he imagined in the funeral in the funeral ground at night so he sat there and he developed his concentration his steadfastness and then he um he heard these footsteps coming toward him and he was sweating profusely but he still maintained his concentration and he was shaking and the, he felt these footsteps moving around him and it he you know and again we're talking about this you know inbred you know absolute terror we didn't open his eyes just maintained you know like the Buddha who sits sits here um, that composure to the extent that he was able as I said you know the stories go I wasn't there and they didn't know him and so I didn't hear him say it but his disciples that he trembled you know that he out of fear and then the footsteps gradually faded and and just like in the tsunami you know the circuits broke The circuits broke and there was bliss. Not that there was bliss in the morgue, but there was bliss in the sense that he faced it to such an enormous strength that the power it had over him completely blew away. And all that was left was the power that he had to confront it. Isn't that a beautiful story? And the final story I'll share with you is um, the story of these uh, um, demons who, uh, who kind of took over uh, a meditation master's cave. He was in there, you know, doing his thing, living on his own. And one day he wakes up and it's, filled with these demons kind of sitting at his desk in his bathroom, you know, washing dishes at the sink. And he's like, you know, who are these demons? What are they doing here? This is my cave and this is my time to meditate. And you know, he's really annoyed. And, and then all of a sudden he sees the demons multiply. Boom. There was more people at the sink, you know, more people in the bathroom, more people you know, under his bed, over his bed, you know, on his walking path, whatever. And, you know, he became infuriated. Boom, you know, tripled, you know, in his anger and tension against these demons. And then, uh, you know, you get the sense of the story. It quadrupled and it kept going. And before he knew it, he was feeling pushed out of his cave. And then he said, you know, you know, the circuits were building up and he goes, OK, 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 you know, we can, let's just try to live in harmony. I can't stand this. We have to get some law and order around here. You know, we have to we have to just get a hierarchy or a system going. And and the more he tried to manage the demons in a way that was more kind and and accepting, the demons started uh, unmultiplying. Until there was only one. And this particular demon was particularly nasty. Right? Really nasty. And heckled him. And tickled him. And took his favorite food. And you know, switched the lights on and off. You know, a real pain in the neck. And, you know, the master said to himself, well, I'm not going to get angry because, you know, then this particular demon will start multiplying, right? So, um, he said, "Okay, okay, okay. What could I do?" And he said, "All right." And he said, "I'm going to put my head in the demon's mouth. I'm just going to enter it fully. I'm just going to go right through this demon." And what happens? Bingo! It the demon vanished. So the courage to feel, the courage to enter. So it's my hope in these um, weeks that we spent together, uh, which I thank you for, for coming and um, opening your hearts and minds to this, that um, To let the light in, to let the heart break and uh, as the saying goes, when the heart breaks, the wisdom falls in. So with that, um, what I'd like to do now is just dedicate any merit that we've accumulated together as a class um, to not just our efforts here, which um, are very important to dedicate the merits to everybody here who've taken the time to come, like the postman, rain or shine, sleet or hail, but to all beings everywhere, all suffering beings, all depressed beings, all beings, suffering beings, may they receive the merit of the efforts that you made here so courageously. So purposefully, so consciously, may you and all beings everywhere receive the benefits of your efforts, receive the benefits of your courage, receive the benefits of your sila, your virtue, and above all your kindness.